Warning. What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem. I'm Nick. I'm Zach. Welcome to We're in Feared, a barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world. We've addressed this before. I like to ask you questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to ask you a question. Good. <laughs> I'm going to read you <coughs> some th- some some facts from the past. Okay. All right. We've uh, we both have a passing knowledge in these facts, but I feel they're worth just kind of going over again because. I don't know about you, but I think history is cool, and what has come before matters, I think. Yeah. So, from approximately 800 to 1600 A.D., the ancient Mississippian culture prevailed within the central, or Midwestern, eastern and southeastern North American continent, and what would eventually be the United States of America... And Canada. Mm-hmm. Empires rise and empires fall for various reasons. And this is what I meant when I said we both had passing knowledge in this because the uh, Mississippian culture's largest city was Cahokia, which mm-hmm. is in mm-hmm. Illinois. Yes. Much like the United States would experience a population explosion, in 1050, Cahokia had maybe 1,000 or 2,000 people living within it. Well, within 50 years, its population jumped up to 15,000 people. And, I mean, 15,000 people, I mean, that jump can kind of be reasonable, but the uh, the living space, the living, the, the area of where they were living was only... Point sixty nine square miles. Oh wow! Fifteen thousand people. I mean, that's within like the population of the town that I live in. Right. Which, but we're not crammed into a half mile. No. <laughs> no. Pretty spread out. No. So that's like crazy. Right. That imagining that I was just picturing how long a distance was to go from here, and like we'll go to if I drive to this place, it's like two miles, and like. Uh, it's like 1.83 kilometers, which I can kind of get, but I'm not using that in all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, the 69.69 square miles, it's just so extreme to think about. Yeah, that's and like, is that even, small I would space. Al- I would almost wonder how many people, like, that's not even, like, in, like, a major city, you don't have that many people in that tiny of a spot, do you? Maybe New York, maybe? I mean, skyscrapers I don't know. and shit. I don't. I, got, I meant to look into that, but I didn't because I just didn't do that. I mean, why were they all living so closely when they had so much room? Was it the short-nosed bears? They were worried about them. Maybe it was the short-nosed <laughs> bears. Yeah, they they kept circling the perimeter. Like, yeah. ah, we can defend these boundaries. These are our borders. Hmm. Yeah, I honestly don't know. Or maybe just because, like, we talk about, like, how it used to be, like, going into town or going somewhere, like, just in 
you know, early United States, like it take weeks to go to a town. Maybe if it's all just right there, everything is just right there. Maybe, yeah, but it's too right there. I don't disagree. <laughs> I don't disagree at all. It's like, oh, I better go, better go to the store. Oh, never mind. I live in it. I am the store. Oh, great. <laughs> what do I? What do I have in stock? All right, I'll pay myself five dollars. Yeah. Cool. Because I mean, at this, we're, we're, I mean, the population—it's a ridiculous number. And at the time, it was the largest urban center outside of the great cities of Mexico and Central America. You know, you're a. Uh, Oh, not going to pronounce. I know those names. I'm not going to try and pronounce them, but you know what I mean. If the. uh, Yeah. And if the highest population projections are correct, um, Cahokia was the biggest city of North America until the population, like historically, until the population of Philadelphia grew beyond 40,000 in 1780. So no other no other city or conglomeration had as many people in it until Philadelphia in 1780. Of course, yeah, by that time, Cahokia was long abandoned, and experts aren't sure why. But by uh, 1300, the site was deserted. And also, in the year 1250, it was bigger than that year's um, London. So 1250 Cahokia was larger than that that London. Mm -hmm. Well, that was... London had been dealing with Viking raids and stuff, I believe, around that time. I mean, it was... I mean, the whole world's around. Maybe a little bit before then, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still pretty wild. Right. Now, so some educated guesses as to why it fell apart include overhunting, deforestation, massive flooding. I mean, it's right along the Mississippi River and yeah. conflicts with outside tribes. But like the river, right? I mean, what was the tribe? Um, they're not entirely sure, really, oh, yeah. what the actual tribe was back then. It was the Mississippian culture, and I could have, um, like, the Mississippi was, like, well, I guess it the, could have been the overarching. Like, yeah. the nations or whatever that they all kind of broke out into could have stemmed from that, I guess. Yeah, there's just, because there's, like, there, and Cahokia didn't keep a written record, so it's hard to piece things together. Like there's pottery and stuff, and you can get like a cultural idea, but there wasn't. There's no like historical archives to kind of read or get into. And if there was, who knows? Maybe it was all flooded. You never know. But it doesn't seem like they had writing. I'll believe mm-hmm. the experts on that one. You know. Mm-hmm. So today, the area is preserved as Cahokia Mound State Historic Site and is considered a World Heritage Site via UNESCO. It is located in what is now East St. Louis and Collinsville, Illinois. Its culture was very sophisticated. Also, I can't mention this already, but it's worth noting that its name, Cahokia, was for the indigenous peoples that lived there at the time the Europeans discovered it. At its peak, it was not called Cahokia. As its residents did not keep a written language, we do not know what it is called, or what they were called, what the culture was called back then. But them not keeping a written language does not mean these people weren't extremely intelligent. They were master builders. They built several dwelling structures and several enormous mounds. Many of these mounds remained and remained. Now I'm going to dive into a little bit of Wikipedia speak, okay? Uh-huh. But but many were demolished in order to build American cities, and their materials were used in construction projects within these cities. It's just the thing we did. 
Yep. I think I think it's safe to say America's history with Native Americans is terrible. So I'm just going to throw that out there. It's fair. Uh, it's fair. Yeah. Cahokia was a large civilization. And it is believed that they may have had outposts as far as Wisconsin, along rivers that connected to the Mississippi River. Uh, several artifacts were found in excavations, like copper, uh, Mill Creek. What? Oh, did I combine two things together? Maybe I did. It's my fault. Give me one second. Several artifacts were found in excavations in Cahokia, like copper, Mill Creek shirt, which they use that to make hoes and like equipment and stuff. And whelk shells. Uh, Cahokian style styles were found at Silvernate site near Red Wing, Minnesota, and materials and trade goods from Pennsylvania, the Gulf Coast, and Lake Superior have been excavated at Cahokia. So, my point is, they found things from all over the place in Cahokia, which means Cahokia had access to many parts of North America. Mm-hmm. They knew they knew a lot of stuff. They got their stuff out there. So, yeah, an outpost in Wisconsin is very doable. Now, where in Wisconsin could this outpost have been? Or where in Wisconsin could these people have been settled? I mean, these would have been the outskirts, I guess. But still Cahokia. It's a big place. Mm-hmm. I try to almost think of it as like North as like you know, the United States. A bunch of people living together, a bunch of different areas. That's like the nation. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, dumb to say out loud, but that's what it is. Yeah, I I mean, that when Europeans showed up here, the country was full-ish, you know. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, it was. It really was. Yeah. So now, where in Wisconsin am I talking about? Kenosha. Well, uh, I'm not. No, we're going a little <laughs> north. No. Yeah, northwest of Kenosha. So not the <laughs> Cheese Castle. Dang. Not the Cheese Castle. Unfortunately, not. What if this was just the history of the Cheese Castle, is what I was telling you. Oh, that would be, that'd be <laughs> incredible. <laughs> that would throw me for a loop. Yeah, all the way back from Cahokia. <laughs> what? Yeah, cheese Castle has roots. No, not, not those deep roots. Nope. All right, now we're going to along the Crawfish River in what would be called... I probably should look up how to pronounce this town name since people live in it in modern times, so it's not a word I can just flub, but Aztalan? Does that sound like a town you know? Not in Wisconsin, it doesn't. Okay, well, that's fine. I'm going to stick with Aztalan. Or Aztalan? Aztalan? Man, I just don't know. I just don't know. Okay. If you're from Wisconsin and you know about Aztalan, and I'm saying it wrong, I apologize. Now here, the Mississippians built several of their of their earthen mounds, using the river trade routes to several other settlements was possible. Copper from Michigan's Upper Peninsula, shells from the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, and stones such as Mill Creek shirt from other areas of the Midwest is evidence of their far-reaching connections. So again, another place within this area with stuff from all over. Now, I could barely pronounce this name. I just didn't know how to. So why was this town called Aztalan? Because this was not a Native American named town. This was named by a white man. From the Milwaukee Advertiser of January 1837, the name Aztalan was given to this place by Mr. Heyer because according to Humboldt, these are just people, you know, that I didn't care to explain. Hmm. The Aztecs or... uh, or ancient inhabitants of Mexico had a tradition 
that their ancestors came from a country at the north, which they called Estelan, and the possibility that these may have been re remains of their occupancy suggested the idea of restoring the name. It is made up of two Mexican words, Atl, water, and An, which is near, so you know, near water, and the country was probably so named from its proximity to large bodies of water. Hence the natural inference that the country about these great lakes was the ancient residence of the Aztecs. So basically, huh. you know, European settler learns some Aztec history and decides maybe this is where the Aztecs are from. Hmm. I There's mean, that would be there. a long ways off if you didn't have modern transportation. Right. And so, but the, again, if the rumor is they came from the north and this guy's in the north and, like, he knows about the Aztecs, he's like, yeah, maybe they were from here. Uh -huh. So, I mean, a strong maybe is a good enough reason to name a town. You know, it's fine. It's what he chose yeah. to do. It's fine. Yeah. Currently, the historical site is a state park and it has been since 1919. Now, the site has large mounds and a wooden stockade surrounding it. Would you like to hear more about? I, there's pictures of this town. I'm trying. I was trying to imagine how it was in the moment. Huh. Would you like to know more about these mounds and this stockade? Just you know, just to, yeah. how was how was this town constructed? Are they burial mounds or like? They don't entirely know. So I'm going to jump into some Wikipedia speak to uh, kind of just deal with the facts of what we know here. Okay. All right. Three platform mounds remain on the site. The largest is the one in the southwest corner of the stockade. One almost as large is located in the northwest corner. The smallest of the three is along the east side of the settlement, near the Crawfish River. The hill in the southeast corner is a natural gravel knoll, not built by the inhabitants. Now, the largest mound was built in three stages. And this gets into these people being sophisticated builders. With a set of steps leading to the top, where a structure was built over the entire flat top. The mound was covered with a clay cap, probably to enhance its appearance. Corn was stored in pits inside the structure, so we know some stuff. Uh, scholars have several theories about why the corn was kept there and the overall purpose of the structure. It may have been the storage facility for the entire village or storage for food just for the top village officials. It may have been used for ceremonies and rituals or it could have been a house for the village officials. So that's what I meant by we don't really know. Those are all guesses. Cool. But it definitely stored cor uh, corn. The uh, this this topmost structure was rebuilt each time a larger stage of the mound was built on top of the old. Now the northwestern mound, used for formal burial, was also built in three stages: a special structure, approximately four meters, that's thirteen feet, by two meters, that's six point six feet, naturally, with its ax with its long axis towards the northeast southwest was built on the west side of the mound. Its doorway was in the southwest corner, and the structure was covered with a mixture of clay, willow branches, and grass. The floor was covered with a mat of what may have been cattails. The bodies of ten people were placed side by side on this, with their heads toward the doorway. The bones of another person were bundled together with cord and placed near them. Once this construction was complete and the bodies were inside, the building was burned. Huh. Ritual. Ritual. Uh -huh. 
the uh, sending him off to the afterlife. The eastern mound had a large open walled structure about 12 meters, 39 feet by 27 meters, 89 feet, built on top of it with fire pits lined with white sand inside. The function of this mound and structure remain unclear. Additionally, to the northwest of the stockaded area, a row of round mounds extends northward. I mean, there's a lot of mounds here. They built a lot of things. This was a place. Uh -huh. When archaeologists dug in these mounds during the 1920s, they did not find the burial sites they had expected. Instead, each mound had a large post set in a pit in its center, surrounded by gravel and soil, with the pit capped with clay and gravel to hold the post steady. These mounds have been termed marker mounds because they may have been used to mark the site for travelers. But this, again, my again, is uncertain. They may, not, they may have also been used for announcements, message relays, or for calculations of astronomical phenomena as has been found in other Mesopotamian... Uh, Mesopotamian. Wow, I mixed two cultures together there. Yeah, a little far from there. Yeah, Mississippian sites such as Cahokia. Now, the, I mentioned about those stockades. Now, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about this specific kind of stockade? Because the settlement was surrounded on the northwest and south sides by a palisade, a wall of logs set vertically into the ground. Narrow holes were dug into the ground. Then the posts were lifted into position and set into the holes. The stockade was finished by people weaving flexible willow branches through the posts and plastering the hole with a mixture of clay and grass to fill in the gaps, a technique similar to wattle and daub. At some point, a smaller stockade was built within the outer one to delimit the dwelling areas. Archaeologists have not been able to determine whether both stockades existed simultaneously for a layered defense or one was built after the other fell into disuse. Now, I mention these because we don't exactly know why Cahokia was abandoned and maybe it was invaded or just fighting tribes. So when this, the fact that this place has like defensive structures means it's, like a, it's a settlement that clearly had a problem with perhaps people invading it and like outside interference. So like, I thought that was worth just noting about they built the fences against something. Right. They were right. worried about something getting in there. We don't exactly. know what it was, but. Correct. It wasn't just an open. It clearly was not the, um, like a nomadic type of society. Like they, they settled here. They had shit to do here. Mm -hmm. All right. So moving along in 1850, jumping way ahead. But um, in 1850, Mr. Laffam, an author, scientist, and naturalist, surveyed the site on behalf of the Smithsonian Institution. He described the outer stockade as being 631 feet, 192 meters. I was going to skip the meters part since I put the feet first, but I felt that was unfair. Long at the north end, 1,149 feet, 350 meters. Long on the west side, and 600 feet, 201 210 meters on the south side, making a total length of wall of 2,750 feet, 840 meters, right? Trying to set the perspective. I know it's a lot of numbers, but just kind of to grasp the, uh, the area we're dealing with about this specific place. The ridge or wall is about 22 feet, 6.7 meters, 
and one foot to five feet, so you know half a meter and 1.5 meters in height. It's got some height to it, man. It's a wall. It had at least 33 square bastions at regular intervals along its length, similar in form and placement to some European fortifications in order to allow defensive warriors to cover that area by shooting arrows. In addition, others were built along the secondary walls. Rather than having a gate to protect the entrance, the builders constructed the entrance so that it was camouflaged from direct view and blended in with the wall on either side. Isn't that neat? That's cool. So it had like a it's kind a of fort, a, right? Exactly, like a big fort. Mm-hmm. Now, during the time Aztlan was inhabited, two sets of outer stocks were built. The posts of the first one eventually rotted, and the second one burned and was never rebuilt. It is not clear whether the purpose of the stockade was to keep out invaders, or if the occupants built it for another reason. Okay, again. Just, I'm just setting the geography of the area. Okay, that's basically what I'm doing here. It's a lot of information. I understand that. But, mm-hmm. you know. Now, just a few miles away, of course, still in Wisconsin, is the town of Lake Mills. And w- near Lake Mills, in Lake Mills, right there in Lake Mills, is a lake called Rock Lake. It's not called Mills Lake? It's not called Mills Lake, No. Huh. And no, it's not called. It's called Rocks Lake. Rock Lake. Yeah. Rock Lake. Now jumping into some Wikipedia speak again because they have all the facts here. Rock Lake is perhaps most famous for its underwater rock piles, frequently claimed to be pyramids, built by the Mississippian culture at a time when the water levels were much lower. So. The reason why I read all the other stuff about Cahokia to you is because there are underwater pyramids in this lake. Now, it may not have been a lake at the time these were built, but it's a lake with pyramids in it now, which I thought was kind of neat. It's kind of exciting. So there's Wisconsin pyramids, and they're underwater. Yes. Huh. Yes. And just a few miles away, there's a bunch of, um, you know, the Native American, those mounds that are in uh, Aztalan. Now, mounds shaped like pyramids exist three miles, which is, of course, five kilometers, east of Rock Lake in Aztalan State Park on the Crawfish River in the town of Aztalan, Wisconsin. The park has national landmark status. The mounds are thought to have been built by the Mississippian culture, and it is speculated that the site at Aztlan was a northern outpost of Cahokia, a much larger city in present-day Illinois, not far from St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, these pyramids would be fascinating by themselves, Historically significant with origins not certain. But what would you say if I told you that something else could be found below this water's surface? Besides pyramids? Besides pyramids. Huh. Well, the indigenous people of the area had stories. And we'll get to them later. But right now, 18 
67. The water rippled. Something was just breaking the surface of the water as it swam up from below. How far below? No one knew. How old was it? No one knew. No one except the creature. But one man claimed to have seen the creature winding through the lake, and this man said it looked like a lizard. But that it wasn't confined to the water, oh no. Nope, this man also claimed to have spotted the lizard, his words, not mine, on land, on the shore, within the tall reeds. The beast raised its head as our witness a man called Harbeck most likely agitated it by merely being in its presence, and the creature hissed at him before diving back into its underwater haven. Hagen, wow, Hagenbeck. That's a throwback to the last episode I did. Not the same guy. No circus talk here. Huh. Harbeck was not alone in seeing this beast, although others would say it looked more like a serpent but they would agree on its method of harassment. This thing liked to hiss. Our main character liked to hiss. Okay. It's very uh, reptilian of him, I guess. Uh-huh. Yep. And yeah, tonight we're both talking about lake monsters. How do you feel about that? I mean, that's the closest we've ever been to talking about the same thing. So It was so close. When you began last episode, I was like, this is exciting. Because <laughs> it was just like, whoop, like a little like, oh, hey. Yeah. I liked it. I like it, though. Mm-hmm. It's, a double, it's a creature double feature. I'm a huge fan. Oh, yeah. Now, do you want, and, and okay, so I'm gonna ex- I want to explain what I'm about to do to you here, okay? Now, okay. We've we've for since the beginning of this podcast we've, um, we've read reports we've read sightings of creatures from the human perspective. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So I of I course mean, it's re- the only one that are typically written down. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm well right exactly a hundred percent. So what I what I chose to do here is these are these facts that are in here are from human perspectives. But this may or may not be how the creature may have dealt with these situations. It may this I may have framed this in the form of the creature's thoughts. So okay, so that's why I wanted to preface this because we have a main character. Do you want to know the name of our main character? Yeah, because we are going to be getting into a few of his adventures. A few of his jovial romps. Okay. So, who are we talking about? He's only, he's kind of got two names. For starters, he has been called the Rock Lake Horror. Okay. Okay. But, I mean, sometimes people enjoy their local monsters. He also has a more affectionate, welcoming name. This name would be Rocky. So tonight, 
It's a little bit so more t- friendly. It's a little bit, yeah. So tonight, Rocky is our guy. All right. Late 1870s. Rocky was out sunning himself, being a cool dude, as any quasi-reptilian, possibly amphibian creature is known to do when a stranger approached him. Rocky wasn't sure, but sublime. Our serpentine-esque hero remained in the water, and at first, this wicked intruder thought he was just some log. But Rocky is no log. He remained still until he saw this human jump back. Was the human frightened of him? He was a pretty big dude, you know, Rocky. So Rocky understood if so Rocky understood if the man was intimidated by his stature, because again, Rocky was a big dude. Mm-hmm. But, but Rocky wasn't scared. What did he have to be scared about? Within moments, honestly, what could Rocky be afraid of here? I mean, <clears throat> guns maybe. Well, within <laughs> moments, <laughs> within moments, Rocky was being repeatedly and rapidly gouged with this man's pointed walking stick. Now, this pissed <laughs> off a yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> he was stabbing it with a stick. <laughs> now, this pissed off a wriggle reptile, and as he began swinging and twisting about, his attacker lost control of what might as well have been a spear. I mean, at that point, it's a spear. He has a mm-hmm. spear. Why was it so sharp? Didn't look into it. Nobody told me about it. I tried. I got yeah. nothing. Yeah. It's probably a spear. Why did he have a sharp walking stick? Again, it's 1870, so maybe he had his walking stick to defend himself against wild animals. Maybe this is exactly its purpose. <laughs> it's true. Right? I mean, that. I just realized that now, as, as I was trying to explain it out loud, he probably had to defend himself against animals. Yep. But, I mean, the report that I had witnessed or... Witness, what a weird way to phrase that. The report I had read said he just started stabbing it <laughs> as hard as he could. What the fuck, man? <laughs> He's like, oh, and fuck you in particular. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> like, you, you could just walk away. <laughs> yeah. In my lake now. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, but his attacker lost control of my... Yeah, he lost control of what might as well have been a spear, and Rocky swam off towards the middle of the body of water he called his home. And I mean, what the fuck was that about? Rocky didn't know it, but the man's name was Hasman, and he had had this to say about the creature he attempted to murder. Quote, I could no more hold it than I could hold an ox. End quote. Huh. Approximately, oh, go ahead. No, I got nothing. Okay. Approximately 12 years later, 1882, Rocky was in his lake. And to him, that's what it was, his lake. The memory of his near homicide over a decade ago was just that, a memory. Today was a peaceful day, and he was in the middle of doing what he loved the most. He floated. Then, he heard something coming closer to him. What was that sound? His lake water became disturbed. Rocky was no longer alone. But what was making that sound? Splash. 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 And splash. Two different patterns, both clearly proceeding in a rhythmic manner. But Rocky didn't scare easy. He kept floating, despite these strange noises. The splashes slowed. He may have heard a pair of voices question if he was a tree branch or a log. 
but Rocky was no log. Two humans had approached him in a rowboat. Well, two humans, they had, they had dual rowboats. They had two rowboats. One man per rowboat. Okay. Or rather, these two humans had been racing each other in said rowboats. Interesting. Literally, literally that's what they were doing. So yes, they were having a race in two rowboats when he, and he of course is Rocky, floated in their general direction. He crossed their paths. Well, they were too close for comfort, so Rocky did the second thing he loved the most. He raised his head out of the water, his neck stretching approximately three feet from the water, and he started hissing. Rocky loved to hiss. Mm-hmm. Then he vanished returning to the depths of his home. The men remained baffled in the middle of the lake, only to be stunned when Rocky returned next to one of the boats, wherein sat a man named Mackenzie. Now, obviously, Rocky didn't know his name, nor did he care. Quote, Bring a gun! End quote, yelled Mackenzie. <laughs> no. What's a gun, Rocky thought? It doesn't <laughs> sound... That doesn't sound... That doesn't sound good. It's about to find I don't, out. I don't, I, don't, I, don't like how, I don't like what that's about. Quote, There's a big thing out here. Come quick and bring a gun. End quote. Now, the other man in the robot race was named Seabert, and he started smacking the water with his oar as if that would scare Rocky away. That just pissed him off. All he was trying to do was float. What the fuck? <laughs> the memories he had s- suppressed... The memories he had suppressed came racing back to him, and he was filled with rage. You know of that moment when he was almost murdered with a pointy stick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was his lake. All this commotion did get the attention of a group of men on the shore who proceeded to pile into their own rowboat and head toward the chaos. Great. More humans, Rocky thought. And one of them was raising something. It was long and made a clicking sound. <laughs> now... Rocky was no dummy. Didn't sound good. And you know what? You know what he thought to himself? I think that's a gun. (laughs) Well, shit. Still facing the third boat, Rocky let them see his second favorite activity, and after letting out a a vehement hiss, he submerged himself and disappeared. Now, Rocky didn't see it, but the man holding the shotgun, Wilson, was almost paralyzed. For even after Rocky went away, he continued to aim his weapon where he had been. But Rocky would remain gone that day. Uh-huh. All right. Now, over time, people saw Rocky less and less. As floating in Rock Lake was no longer the relaxing enterprise it once was. The humans all but assumed he died. For there no longer was any trace of the Rock Lake Terror. Do you think Rocky's done? Oh, go ahead. No, I think he's maybe getting older. He's sick of dealing with people. Just becoming more of a hermit, maybe. That's what I'm... Like, he wants to just be reclusive and just avoid... Like, he's just done with humans altogether, and he just wants to get out of here. He's like, yeah, they're all assholes, I guess, so. 
Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I guess fuck me. I'm going to stay under my lake. Mm-hmm. I just like sunning myself. I just like floating. Can't do that. So, yeah. He, perhaps he became a recluse. Well. 1890. For years, Rocky remained submerged. Floating was no longer his favorite thing. The humans had taken that from him. It no longer brought him joy. Nothing brought him joy. While the wound from his first attack had healed and barely left a scar, the real injury remained unmended in his mind. Rocky was angry. Through an underground stream, Rocky had migrated to nearby Cedar Lake. A little underground pathway, you know, connecting both lakes together. Mm-hmm. This lake. This wasn't even his home. Again, he was gone. He left Rock Lake. But he grew tired of sulking beneath the surface. He started to float again. Although he didn't like it. Whenever he popped his head above the water, he would see humans gazing upon him. Farmers, ranchers tending to their livestock. He noticed the looks they would give him. They were afraid of him. Good, he thought. They have no idea what's coming. Uh, uh Uh-oh. What is coming? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, just... Okay. I'm going to hover there for a second, yeah? Just... All right. Here we go. Rocky's jaws lashed around the hog and he pulled it under the water. Its farmer was close enough to see the brutality of it all, but too far away to stop it. Soon, Red Cedar Lake ran red with blood as Rocky murdered whatever cow, pig, or sheep he got a hold of. Their bodies could be found floating in the lake after each of his evening kills. That was the only floating Rocky enjoyed now. (laughs) It's a different kind of floating. Very much so. The floating, the floating corpses of his victims. The, the humans thought he had changed locations because he had found a new plentiful food supply that couldn't be farther than the truth. Rocky hated the humans, and he wanted to annihilate everything they loved. A man by the name of William Ward stated that Rocky dragged off five of his sheep in a single evening. Body parts continued to litter the waterways of his new domain. Many residents were so stricken with fear that they left the area completely. He's mad. He is not a happy camper. He is not (laughs) pumped. He is not pumped. Those pitiful humans and their encroachments into his personal space. How dare they ruin his home? How dare they kill his joy of floating? Rocky had won. He took his broken, twisted soul and sunk back beneath the depths, embracing the monster that he had become, the killer that he now was. He didn't know when he would strike again, but whenever he did, he would make it worth everyone's while. Okay. 1943. So it's been some time. Last time was like 1890-something. Uh-huh. The boat floated out on Rock Lake. Within it, 
was a 15-year-old boy. Uh-oh. Snack time. He was fishing. The boy started to notice the water begin to ripple. Then, suddenly, approximately 20 feet away, a black and brown creature broke the surface of the water, exposing a seven-foot-long torso. The boy, Joseph Davis, waited to see if the creature was going to raise its head or hiss like the old stories he may have heard. But the creature did nothing. It just floated. Who am I kidding? Rocky thought. One more time. His heart rate started to slow. He felt his eyes becoming heavier. Just one more float. Okay. Now, now, was that the last time the Rock Lake Terror was ever seen? Did Rocky perish after his final float? I doubt it. Well, it would be a while. Okay. 1994. Oh, damn. Long while. Long while. But like 1940, and then if you think before, it was like 1890. Is this a pa- like a 50-year-ish pattern that it had started? I wondered that when I was putting this together. Hmm. 1890 to 1943 to 1994. You know, kind of. Now, a woman saw a giant serpent-like creature thrashing its tail about and that generated some serious waves against a pier. 1998. A woman saw something huge and black with a swan-like neck and, quote, dragon-like face. It being 1998 and her not having a cell phone, she could not take a picture and rush to find someone else to prove she wasn't crazy. But in (laughs) typical horror movie fashion, when she returned, it, oh, I'm sorry, Rocky, if it was indeed Rocky, was gone. Now, there was an account in the middle of my little narrative that I left out because it killed the suspense a little bit. Didn't like that. But I'm going to tell you it here. Because right. uh, it happened in between um, 1890 and 1943. 1896. Rocky felt the ping of a hook. But it wasn't much of anything. He had become numb to all things now. I, I mean, I mean, I made Rocky get real dark. Okay, that's all. That's all I'm saying. He got, mm-hmm. he, he got real he's, bent up about what was going on here. He's got his emo phase going. He, he really does. He really does. He continued stewing about and even came close to the surface, the closest he had come in years. The human claimed to have seen his body and legs, and claimed he resembled that of an alligator. I mean, that's kind of what he sounds like to me. Right? Kind of, sort of? Right? Minus minus when you say he's got like a swan-like neck. Right. But I mean, floating there and the hissing, that all uh, sounds like alligators to me. Doesn't it, though? It really mm-hmm. does. Except he's I in can, Wisconsin. I concur, right? Which is like, that's a weird <laughs> place to... Right? Yeah. It gets right. cold up there. It really does. It really does. Now, um... That same year, this story was reported. Um, huh, W.M. Howe 
That looks like an abbreviation for William, right? WM period. That's what that would be like so. to me. Yep. Yeah. Weird. Can I just abbreviate my name NK? Can I start doing that? Oh, that's too close to North Korea. Never mind. I don't like that. <laughs> NK? Anyways. Oh. William Howe. Owner of an... What? <laughs> or Ho. I was trying to read his name. H-O-W-E. Probably Howe. Or Hoey. Could be any of those things. English doesn't make any sense. Owner yeah. of an East Shore boat livery. Notice, and this is, like I said, a quote from an article. Notice the commotion off his pier with fish jumping out of the water as if pursued. Upon rowing out, he found that a, quote, serpent seven feet long and five inches thick was the cause of the disturbance. He attempted to shoot it without effect and then struck it a mighty blow with his oar upon which it sank into the depths. The next morning it was found dead on the shore with several fish hooks in its mouth. It was taken to Davis's barbershop where it was embalmed and exhibited. Again, this was in 1896. The final conclusion was that it could not be identified as either a fish or a serpent. Now, when I read that sentence, I was like, did they just fuck the shit out of it when they taxidermed it? Then no one could tell yeah. what it was? That's what or it sounded like to me. It? They blew it apart. They taxidermed Like, look what I caught. What the fuck did that used to be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was that? I have no idea. Now, however, since... Muscalunge were known to have existed in Rock Lake for many years, and since the described behaviors of the, quote, monster are similar to those observed in these large fish in northern Wisconsin lakes, could this not have possibly been a large muskie? Since no photos were taken, the mystery remains, quote. Now, that was included in my st- looking for stuff about Rocky here. Didn't I mean, it's more of a snake thing, and it got actually murdered. Mm-hmm. But it was worth including because, like, maybe they were seeing this thing. Maybe that was what they were seeing. But, and like the fact that it was so mutilated after they decided, like, we got to preserve this so everyone could see what we caught and no one could tell what it was. Who knows yeah. what that was? You know? Yeah. What, what did you guys do here? No. The Ho Chunk indigenous people of the area spoke of a legendary creature. And this is a story about that creature. Quote And this stream lived a huge and terrible monster. The older people of the tribe say this creature had a large head, awesome jaws, and body likened to a serpent. It is said to have ranged the whole length of the stream, preying on both animals and men, as to which he most preferred no one knows. Hapless creatures that went to the water to drink were frequently seized and swallowed. At all of the fording places, this demon found hunting good. Indians crossing at these places were promptly dragged beneath the water and never seen or heard of again. Some Indians believe that there were several of these monsters living in the waters of the Rock River, and many made offerings of tobacco and other desirable things to appease the wrath of the monsters. This is but one, and I was looking for the specific name of that creature, which for some reason, I thought I had seen it in one article, but maybe I just misplaced it, so that's on me. But we've talked about ancient sea serpents and Native American legends about serpents in the past. It's a whole, I mean, it's it's a clear archetype of creature and monster and supernatural being, so. This is but one of at least 35 lake monsters of infamy found in just the United States alone. Mm-hmm. But that's the story of the Rock Lake Terror, a.k.a. Rocky. Yeah. That's a thing. And I mean, all those things that I said happened, I just reframed to be from Rocky because like, well, let's just do something different here. Let's just have some fun. But right. like, 
they clearly attacked something. They shot something. They Some guy claimed he hooked something and was drug. Like when I mentioned the fishing hook that I skipped for the narrative part. Like mm-hmm. the fisherman said like it drug his line and the, the line snapped. So like, and if I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to find it. But in one of the articles I found, like, you know how we talked about, let me just pull it up real quick since we're talking here. Um, because it's actually worth addressing. You know how we talked about, um, how many like random alligators and like crocodiles and shit was just in like Illinois when we were yeah. talking about chance, the snapper, well, yeah, Wisconsin, yeah. Wisconsin evidently has a slew of these things itself. It's such a weird thing. Like, they could definitely live up there for the summer. Right. But as soon as winter hits, they're done. So is, like, one getting lost up there every year? Or, like, like that? odds of that are got to be slim. Extremely slim. Right? Does it, But it really makes you... Right. It really makes you think that. But, I mean... Yeah, one summer, a crocodile just takes a stroll, goes all the way up to Wisconsin, hangs out. Still, again, he makes it all the way up there in one summer, hangs out for a summer, and then once winter hit, he just dies. Yeah, because, I mean, it would be possible. I th- like, th- the odds of it, like, the water temperature not killing him, like, if he gets up there too early, because the water cools or stays cooler longer than the air does. Right. So, like, so many things would have to line up perfectly for there to be a gator up there for a summer i agree it would have to be like the perfect situation like it's one of those things where it's so unlikely that it just happens to line everything just happens to line up and this is from the uh so it's possible but it's unlikely now this is from the uh, I found a lot of the stuff the reframing I did was from uh, Pine, the Pines Barren Institute, and they had an article that talks about because you know it is a tributary of the Mississippi River. Obviously, it connects everything's connected together. Um, mm-hmm. But they go in to say that you know alligators have been found in the Rock River before. One measured six feet, and that was in 1892. They found a gator in 1892, which is around the time of some of those sightings have been were happening mm-hmm. with um with rocky and then um oh wow oh jesus that one might be rocky because the next one i thought there was a whole like listings like throughout the years but the next one isn't until 2005 where they found a, a three-foot gator was sunning itself on the banks of the river and then in 2007 there was a four-foot gator then there was a two-foot gator found in 2011. Now, all those modern ones sound like what kind of happened with Chance the Snapper, where people just ditch their pets mm-hmm. that they shouldn't have fucking had in the first place. Yeah. yeah those, were, those were those gator sightings I, mean, I wanted to find. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's that hissing. Uh, that's a gator. Like, you know, you get, they get that... Right. When, yeah. So the fact and the fact that they looked at it though, did these guys? I mean, but then again, back then, maybe those people had never even seen an alligator before. I mean, yeah, if they lived up in the north, <laughs> right? Like they probably never did. One guy said it looked like an alligator, so he might have known what that was. But otherwise, imagine seeing this giant lizard beast up in a lake where it does not belong. You'd be out of your fucking mind. Yeah. But yeah. That's cool. That is I mean, cool. Right, how, how did it get there, though? 
You know what I mean? How did this fucking alligator? He just went for a swim. Back then, people weren't keeping gators as pets, so this guy just... And if, and if like, he exposed, like, a seven-foot belly... I mean, he could be, could have been a decent-sized gator that made... That was able to survive going upstream the Mississippi. I mean, that's a... That seems exhausting to me, even for a gator. Yeah, I mean, they're just... Solid muscle, you right. know. So, I mean, the Mississippi's a big river, though. So, it would take some time. But, like I said, it's, I mean, it's not implausible. No. Unlikely. Very unlikely. But, shit happens. Weirder things <laughs> have happened. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just pumped about for two episodes in a row we talked about lake monsters. That was so close. I'm so excited about that. I mean, that's the closest we've ever been without... Uh, it is! Without... Because we don't talk about these at all. We just jump into them and... Right. Yeah. Closest we've ever been to being on the same topic. A couple states I mean, away, but... Right. And I found a... What I mentioned at the end of that, that episode, well, right here, how it said, like, um... Like thirty-five lake monsters of infamy just in the United States alone. I found a map with all these fucking lake monsters. Oh, there's a I lot. Mean, yeah, there's so many. The water. We talk about like the woods and darkness freaking people out, but we always talk about how water freaks people out. The ocean, the lake, it doesn't fucking matter. People don't know what's in there and it freaks them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the unknown. And the water's more unknown because we're not made for traversing it. No. We're not not made well enough to traverse it. You know, we can't go, we can't breathe it. No, we can't. So that's a big obstacle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's one step in the way. That's one, uh, yeah. That works against us, the fact that we don't have gills to be able to swim and breathe under the water. And we can swim, but, like, we don't have webbed hands, you know, like anything like that, which would make us better at it. Right, no flippers. We're, we're right. not we're not mosasauruses, unfortunately. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, Rocky the uh, Rock Lake Terror. I mean, you could you could go back to what I was talking about at the end of my previous episode with uh, different things getting trapped in lakes, you know, and surviving for generations. Yes. I mean, Wisconsin's got a lot of lakes. So if it is something that's like water, you know, water-based creature, but like how we talked about plesiosaurs, they kind of can waddle. Yes. Like like seals, modern-day seals. Like, Yep. They're typically aquatic, but they can traverse land if they need to. They can walk around. They can go a little bit if they have to. Yeah, it could be something like that, going lake it. to lake or something for years. Yes. And, and there's there's so many different weird things out there. It could be anything or nothing at all. Isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. For Rocky, I'm still, I mean, like you said, I'm leaning hard to, like, heavy out-of-place gator. But who knows? That's the fun part. <laughs> what was he doing? Yeah. I mean, maybe you got this gator that just had dumb luck every year where it was like, you know, I had my fun floating up here for a while, but I need to go back down south. Oh, my just, God. 
And then it just repeated it every year. What if he I mean, knew about that? That would just be wow, dumb luck on a, for the the part of a gator because yeah, migration's not a thing for them. No, but like I said, anything can happen, right? Or like, what if the gator? Because what? But what if he's like he's not your typical gator because he makes it all the way up there and he's like, oh shit! But he clearly knows like a world exists outside of his environment. So he's like, what if I go back to where I came from? Yeah. Like, what if his territory is just like this, you know, what if he just considers the Mississippi and this offshoot like his home? He's like, well, oh, it's getting like it's getting colder. I probably should fucking leave. And then he's, yeah, like, I mean, because that, that could be a thing, too. Like, if it's right off the river, it's like, well, it's starting to get uncomfortable. And I was comfortable back, back that direction. So I'm going to go back that way. Yeah. Fuck. Well. If anybody has seen a lake monster, again, just reaffirming our desire to hear these stories from last week, let us know at uh-huh. the uh let us know in anywhere you can find us because if you've seen a lake monster, I would like to hear about it, and I know Zach would too. Yep. At Weird Podcast at Gmail dot com, Facebook, the Instagram, check into the Patreon where we continue the conversation once the um the main episode ends all the main monster content is here but we sometimes get into some cool tangents that you know we were probably holding back when the episode was recording but you know yeah so if you want to dive into our no no um you know no narrative conversation we'll get into that right at, yep. at the uh behind the veil on the patreon because yep, we're trying to keep everything ad free so if you can support us on patreon we appreciate it uh, that'd be pretty cool we'd appreciate it a lot but mm-hmm. um, what I'd also appreciate is for everybody to stay spooky. Yeah, I would appreciate that too. So stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.